Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations. I'm Lee, and I'm here with a very special guest, Maddie from Grass-Fed and Grace-Led. How are you this evening? Good, and happy to be shattering your glass ceiling here. It's true. First human female to come on the show and speak words. It's got to feel amazing. <laughs> it does, although I feel like maybe I should just stay silent the rest of the time. <laughs> rest assured, we are not in corporate worship, so you have full you have full liberties. <laughs> <laughs> My thank you, kind sir. <laughs> well, um, so just to get us started, how about you uh, tell us a little bit about what in the world possessed you to want to become another Reformed podcaster out here in the world? What are you thinking? Yeah, I was going to say, I think I've gone crazy. And I just like talking to myself and then recording it. Um, <laughs> but no, really... Um, I wanted to do it for about a year plus, actually, and I kind of talked myself out of doing it because I felt like there were already so many uh, different podcasts out there and Christian podcasts and reform podcasts. So I was just kind of like, what am I going to contribute to this? Um, and then I heard a For the Gospel podcast, and they were talking about needing more uh, Christian content creators like on TikTok and different things like that. And he just recommended, you know, just do it. Like the more, the better. And, and then I think there was like a cultish episode as well, where they were talking with some guy. I can't remember, but he was talking about the importance of making uh, more content for Christians. And so I was like, okay, well maybe I should uh, give it a shot. But I think for me in my mind, I just kind of had a certain audience in view where uh, it's just people that maybe aren't quite at some of the like higher theology caliber that you get on a lot of reform podcasts, or it can be a little overwhelming. I didn't have a really good one to recommend to my friends. There's a couple out there that I will, but um, a lot of them would be over their head, I think, and intimidating, especially for women, because I think a lot of women are a little bit theology averse just because they don't understand you know, what theology is. And so I just kind of want to inspire women to just grow and love theology as well and kind of give a platform where they can be introduced to these topics in a way that's not intimidating. Because I think the next level down, a lot of the other Christian uh, podcasts that are more accessible don't necessarily have great theology backing them up. So I'm um, hoping to kind of bridge that gap. I'm I'm curious, you know, uh, was there was there a, a particular um, podcast or or teaching series or book or something like that that got you really interested in theology? Yeah. So, like, were there was there media that got you to this to this point? Yeah. Um, you know, I've always kind of had a love for studying and like doing Bible studies, but I've always kind of avoided a lot of the women's Bible studies because they're always really fluffy and just, I felt like garbage. Um, but when I started kind of getting into uh, apologetics, 
there were some books and uh, different resources recommended that I didn't even know existed at all. I had no idea. So I was pointed to Ligonier and I read and listened to a lot of things on Ligonier. And uh, that's when I was introduced to, of course, R.C. Sproul. And so I read his book, The Holiness of God, which just kind of blew my mind. I think I read it in a day and my brain exploded. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so then I was hooked from there and uh, I started listening to his, uh, what is it? What is Reformed Theology? Hmm. Which is, he also has a book, the same book. I've read the book and I've listened to it. It's almost the same thing. Um, and listen to some of his systematic theology. I never f- quite finished that, but um, but then I went from there and started listening to some podcasts. Uh, that was actually like the kind of the first time I actually even started listening to podcasts was for uh, theology episodes. I think just because people were sharing them. Mm-hmm. I can't really remember the first one that I listened to, but uh, for the gospel, I think came out around the time that I started really listening to podcasts more. Because I was doing YouTube videos too, but that's hard to kind of listen to when you're just going around and doing stuff. So, yeah. That's really cool. That's super cool. Now, I really, I enjoy, you know, one of the things I've noticed on the kind of the, in the Christian podcast world is, and you, you, you mentioned cultish, and I think they're a good example of like approaching it, not just doing like straight, like reading theology to people, you know, or things like that, but there's. There's like a focus, a specific focus. Yeah. And, and I think the focus for your show is really fascinating, kind of blending, obviously, the, theological topics, matters of the faith with the farm. Uh, and I can't say that I've come across a show with that same blend. For instance, where'd you acquire your mastery of the, the chicken realm? The chicken realm. <laughs> well, my my first experience, so I grew up in the suburbs, so I'm not like farm grown. Um, my first experience with chickens, I was working on a horse farm uh, where I was trading my labor for riding lessons. And they had these like evil little bantam chicken roosters <laughs> that would attack you. Uh, and I had to collect eggs and it was just such a like nightmarish experience. It was like this 10 year old kid being attacked by like hordes of white roosters. Um, so I pretty much swore off chickens after that, but then as an adult, um, we, so my husband's military, we got stationed in the mountains and and I was like, you know what? Chickens would be cool. And he wasn't totally on board with that until we got eggs from the chickens. And then it was kind of like everything. He was all about it. He was like, sweet, keep the chickens. And so I, I just started, um, raising chickens about 10 years ago now. And uh, I don't really do anything without really researching it. So I very quickly became, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but definitely a deeper level of knowledge than most people that just kind of get into stuff. Um, But yeah, so I've kind of just played around and I've had lots of chickens and lots of different moves that we've had to do because we move a lot as a military family. So it feels like I've, I've gotten all the life experience of starting up and tearing down chicken operations more than most. That was something you mentioned in one of your recent episodes about if you're going to keep animals, but have the potential to move like chickens is one of the, the best 
animals that you could possibly have in order to to make a move easier. Yeah. It was something I never considered before because I could see moving a farm being really annoying and difficult. Yeah, the last time we moved, we drove across the state of Texas and I kind of felt like some farm version of the Beverly Hillbillies with two horses and like eight goats and a bunch of dogs. It was nuts. It was nuts. I did not bring my chickens with me, but they're pretty easy to get new homes for. So I I really enjoyed the, the recent episode on the, the heritage birds, uh, which is something I have never, never looked into, never heard anything about before. Um, So would you want to give people just like a, like a cliff notes, version of of what you're talking about or your your sales pitch for the heritage chicken yeah so heritage chickens they're um breeds of chickens that were prevalent and present kind of in the old timey days before commercialization and industrialization of agriculture where everything became kind of mass production and these are breeds that truly have kind of that heritage farm feel, which a lot of people that do what I do, that kind of home steady farm, hobby farm thing, we're all trying to do it small scale and they're bred specifically for those purposes. So they're just much more um, appropriate, I think, for the settings. And it's also neat, I think, to kind of harken back to the good old days, as we'd like to think, minus the dying of cholera and stuff like that. (laughs) <laughs> I ha- I enjoy my AC. AC's nice. Yeah. yeah. As much as we uh, hate talking about antibiotics, man, they they do fix a lot of things that yes. uh, really plagued people back in the quote unquote good old days. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm intrigued. Um, for for you, how how do um. How how does the faith how do, in theology how does that blend with uh, homestead farming? Okay, so um, first of all, I would say that uh, combining theology and farm is that a lot of people that I know that do what I do and are Christians kind of do it for similar reasons. Um, I wouldn't say straight theological reasons, but we were kind of just more drawn to that um, stewardship element of really paying attention to where your food is coming from and um, learning about the land. And it kind of reminds me just of that. Well, whenever I'm in, in the garden or whatever, a little bit of that Eden experience, you know, having dominion as, as mankind, just working the crops and the different types of um, varieties of vegetation and stuff that people have brought about for food and and just raising your own animals, caring for them, making sure that they are cared for. I think that was one of my initial motivators too, was to know where my food came from and also to take care of it. Cause I did feel like we as humans weren't being very resourceful and um, just good stewards, you know, where our food is coming from. So I think that's a big motivator for a lot of us. Some of them are a little bit more like doomsday preppery. Um, <laughs> That's become pretty I, fashionable again. Yeah. I, I mean, well, especially lately. I won't lie. Like initially, I think I had a little bit more of that kind of mindset. Is like, well, if everything 
you know, goes to heck in a handbasket, at least I'll know how to milk a goat. So, and then when COVID hit, my husband's like, do not sell the goats. Like, make sure we have the goats. Um, so that was kind of neat that we still had that. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't dread doomsday uh, anymore in that same way. But I still really enjoy uh, just taking care of the small slice of earth that God has given us and having a little bit more say in how our food is produced and doing so, I think, ethically and and that. Um, I would say one real neat benefit of farming that I think a lot of people today don't have is that the, you know, the Bible is so agrarian, like, in their culture. And so a lot of the metaphors and parables and word pictures and all that is very agrarian. And, and I think you miss a lot of that if you, if you're not around the animals, like you might kind of imagine what some of the stuff might mean, but if you're like living it and, and doing it day and day, like they did, then it really just kind of speaks at a whole other level. So I think of shepherding and you know how important that is to shepherd your flock like to actually know your flock and know them well enough to know if they're unwell or you know so if you see that for imagery for pastors of course you know for how jesus shepherds his flock and um i remember i was doing a bible study with women for a year we did matthew and it had the parable or it's not really a parable it was when jesus said that the uh harvest was plenty, but the workers were few. And during that time, our neighbor, they had like 15 acres and they had planted like tons of pumpkins, just massive amounts of pumpkins. And nobody was coming and harvesting them. Like it was time, you know, like the end of October was coming and go, like, I was like, what are they going to do with all these pumpkins? And nobody was coming and getting them. And eventually they finally got a few people. And I think they maybe harvested like an eighth of that entire field. Oh, man. He let us come get the pumpkins for our pigs and then he tilled them all back into the ground. Um, but it was just kind of this like crazy, neat providence of like word picture of seeing how the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few and literally right next door to us. We had just these awesome pumpkins just sitting out there waiting to rot. Yeah. Just rotting in the field. That's yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think it's really cool to see those kinds of things played out in front of your eyes. Like you said, how agrarian culture was in, in biblical times, uh, and to be able to see those things kind of play out in front of you. And so even if, you know, even if you don't have sheep, you can still understand. Yeah, exactly. Now, of course, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to try to corral chickens if you've got them all caged up all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> no don't ever try that that's like the worst thing <laughs> have you ever tried i don't know how much farm experience you've had have you ever tried no, to corral chickens no a couple times i've never had chickens but i i've i for a short period of time i helped some friends take care of chickens while they were uh, away on vacation and it was maddening it was absolutely maddening they were so mean it, this is this is completely silly. Okay, so I'm just going to preface it this way. But I had never actually seen a depiction of like, uh, like 
caged chicken farms until I watched Napoleon Dynamite, <laughs> where, he, where he goes on the chicken farm and like works for a dollar an hour. Yeah. And I'm like, that that's horrible. <laughs> that looks horrible. <laughs> but I'm sure it's even worse than that, especially in like a big operation. But yeah, some of them are kind of locked up all the time. And I don't know. I'm not like, I'm not a crazy vegan or anything, obviously. I'm still like, we eat our eggs and stuff. But yeah, I think like right now I have a rabbit. He's kind of useless, but he's living his best rabbit life. Because he's got this big pen and he's dug like all these tunnels. And I was just like, man, you're spoiled. Usually rabbits just live in little cages. So <laughs> it brings me joy to let my animals have some freedom. Now, how has your family taken to the farm? Uh, is, is everybody into it? Or w- was this a new experience for your husband, for example? Uh, my husband's a city boy. So this was definitely new. And he's allergic like oh, he's no. allergic. He's allergic to hay and horses and goats. But he loves me, so he uh, he deals <laughs> he deals with it. But he really does love the farm. It's just unfortunate that he has the allergies that he does. But <laughs> he just but makes sneeze more than average. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there's certain jobs that I won't let him do just because it's just not worth it for him. But <laughs> Uh, we did find another use for all those COVID masks. You can wear those when he's doing hay and stuff, and it kind of helps. But, yeah, you can't let them go to waste now that we don't have to wear yeah. them anymore. Oh, my gosh, yes. So many. But, yeah, I, my kids are kind of into it. I wish that they were more into the farm life. I wish that they um, had the same passions I do. But my oldest, he's really big into um, – you know, sports and playing outside. So he's not like a super farm kid, but he likes my chickens. He's always like, I have all these pictures of him as a kid, just, or well, he's still a kid, but littler kid, or he just holding chickens. I have this like whole collection of it. So he's just funny. He likes to pick up chickens and walk around with them. But well, I think and, they, and he may come to appreciate that later on in his life too. Like he may not be super into it now, but he may, he might remember it later and, Think like, wow, this was this was cool. I should have some of my own, you know, or yeah, something like we, that. We that uh, this year we did a thing where we were hatching a bunch of uh, chicken eggs from our own chickens, and he was like, "We should just keep all of them and not sell them, and pretty soon we'll have like a hundred thousand chickens." <laughs> so I don't that's, know about that. That's chicken math. <laughs> yeah, chicken math. Exactly. You've been listening. I have, I'm a fan. So we've talked about the farm half of your podcast. I'm I'm about your your theological journey. So theologically, where did you come and then how did you come to the the perfect theology of reformed Baptist? Yeah. Particular rags Baptist. to riches, so to speak. Yes, yeah, real rags to riches. Um yeah, so I was raised in a Christian home. I grew up in a Calvary chapel. So I was like dedicated. Uh, yeah, dedicated okay. as a baby in a Calvary Chapel. Wow. And um spent all 19 of my years until I got married and moved away in that same church. And you know, it I think it did some good thing. You know, it's not like Calvary Chapel is terrible, but 
Um, they did a, yeah, yeah. So they did a, you know expository style preaching, kind of that verse by verse. So I was mm-hmm. you know wet my palate for that, and I didn't really like it any other way. Um, so that was good, but they were certainly very uh, dispensational. A little light on the charismatic side, not not too much, um, but it was a huge church. It was like massive. I think we had eleven. I mean, some are bigger, but we had about eleven thousand members wow. in that church. Yeah, it was crazy. I think they had like five different um, service times, oh and yeah, it was it was massive. So you really didn't. Nobody knew who you were when you went. So you just kind of blend in. So when my husband and I got married, we got stationed in Japan because he's uh, got stationed there and we tried a couple different churches. I was actually really nervous um, about trying a different church because I was afraid of false teaching. I was worried <laughs> that I was going to end up in some bad false teaching church. So naturally my friend took me to her Pentecostal church for a few times. <laughs> And that was an experience. Um, but then we ended up landing in a, a Southern Baptist church. And it was a bit obviously smaller than the Calvary Chapel I'd grown up in. I think they probably had about 200 uh, people in that Southern Baptist church. And uh, we were there for a little while. And then we moved stateside. And that, that kind of got us in this mode of we want a smaller church where you can kind of get to know people on a more personal level. And, uh, but we remained very uh, consumer Christian, you know, like we had the checklist of the things we wanted and being from Calvary, I wanted, you know, maybe not a concert band experience, but I wanted that contemporary modern music. And (laughs) I wanted my, pastor to be funny and I wanted a good children's program for our kids and all this kind of stuff. So we, we were at another Southern Baptist church, but it was a multi-site campus. Oh boy. Yeah. And so we were at the, at the little camp, their little campus that met at a high school there. And we had a really good uh, life group set up there. Cause when we moved, um, I had actually had twins and we lost one of our twins right after we moved. And so the life group was a really neat kind of getting that fellowship. And even though they didn't know us before it happened, those people, you know, were really great people. So there was a lot of, you know, good that came out of that, but um, it was definitely more concerty. You never got to meet the pastor. The campus pastor just kind of introduced, you know, Mm. their little, guest like an MC. yeah yeah he'd come down at the end and just kind of be like if you're here you know check this card and that kind of thing so it was kind of a shame and then we moved again and uh ended up going to a smaller church because we were in the country a bit more at that point and uh we really grew to love that church um as well so we were kind of hooked on you know, and, and kind of realize that, you know, we don't really want to do this multi-site campus thing anymore. But long story short, we went through a couple different moves and we ended up out here, got involved in ministry at another country, Southern Baptist Church. And 
I felt like they were a little bit more Southern than some <laughs> Southern Baptist churches. <laughs> and uh, lo- lovely people. I mean, great people. Uh, some people I would, you know, consider family. But I, I started finding that I was just a bit concerned with kind of the nature of the altar calls that they were doing mm. and it just felt very pleading. And they had kind of made a shift from when we started going there from a very small, simple worship to they moved to a different building and they made it modern and the music was louder and the atmosphere got darker. And mm. um, that was just really concerning for my husband and I. And around that same time, I started discovering that, you know, Bethel and Hillsong music, uh, they weren't just bands, you know, that played music on K-Love. Uh, they were, <laughs> they were churches that were teaching false things and, and leading a lot of, especially younger people astray. And I I was flabbergasted really to find out that I, that we were singing that kind of music in our worship. Um, and that was really concerning. I felt a little bit betrayed, you know, by the pastors. Cause I felt like that was their responsibility to mm-hmm. protect us from that. And when we brought that to their attention, they were just like, yeah, well, it sounds so good. And <laughs> they really didn't want to let it go. And um, so that became kind of a real big hinge point for us. I I couldn't, I physically could not be in the worship anymore. Uh, we would, we would like come late sometimes and just kind of like sneak in after the song. And it was really difficult though, because we didn't want to leave a church that we loved as, you know, all the people there that were really invested in our kids and, um, we we believe in investing in your local body, and so we didn't want to just kind of bail and kind of go back to that sort of consumeristic mindset that we had been in. Um, but it really felt like the holiness of God was was kind of not even considered, you know, in in that scenario. And so when I when I read Holiness of God, we were still at that church, and so when I read that book, it was just like, yes. And amen, you know, and, and then we watched the American gospel around oh, that time. Man. Yeah. yeah. And I just, and you know, our church wasn't like word of faith or anything, but just, I don't know. It was just like, there's other people that think like us and we're not crazy. And so we ultimately, we did try to kind of affect some change at the church first. My husband was, um, serving there with the youth for a little bit, kind of in the interim, but they, it was just becoming a problem. So for the sake of unity, we ended up finding a uh, reform Baptist church, which at that point he and I already like kind of knew, you know, we were certainly Calvinistic. Um, I probably cage staged on my husband a little bit. Yeah. So, but we were, we kind of, he and I, it was, I was so fortunate that he and I both kind of came to the same thing at the same time in different paths, but both definitely. So then we found our current church home and I've, for the last couple of years, I've just been like nonstop reading books. And oh, I know studying. your reading plan is super inspirational. 
<laughs> I wish I could read half of what you're reading. <sighs> I wish I could read half of what I'm reading. <laughs> no, I'm trying, like, yeah, right now we're, I'm trying to do Puritan theology with uh, one of the elders' wives at our church, and it's awesome. But then I also am like reading a couple of other books and then other people recommend a book. And so I'm like, I'll do that and I'll read this and I'll read that. I'm like, how many books can I read at once? I don't know. <laughs> as many as you want. I guess uh, your brain will tell you when it's all tapped out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think last year I, I read 60 books. Wowzers. Like I said, inspirational. <laughs> I, I, I didn't like even read a tenth of that. <laughs> I felt low. I was like, man, I should have shot for a hundred, but I probably would have had much. to read like little little booklets or something to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's so going back to to your your history in in church. I think it's really interesting how because because th- there's a lot of commonality between what you've said and like my own history and the history of uh, some other folks I know, especially folks of a reformed persuasion but the the matters of worship on the lord's day being such a, a defining factor and uh, i became halfway obsessed I, i'm still obsessed really with the ordinary means of grace and like the regulative principle and really drilling down into making sure that at church we're doing the things that god has commanded we do in in his way, like the way that he's laid out in the pages of scripture, and that the opposite principle, that that uh, um, normative principle, is like the principle of the day. Like that's exactly like the Bethel folks, um, the Hillsong people, uh, a lot of your mega church type. We'll just do whatever whatever we think is cool or or whatever we want to do. As long as the Bible doesn't say we can't do it, then, you know, full steam ahead. And that really wears on you. Yeah. And you can see the theology that they have coming through how they're running their church. Um, You know, once you notice it, it's just like it's almost hard to ignore. But just just even the idea of like, well, we need to draw on the lost and we need to make our church attractive and. Um, you know, check all these boxes and make sure everybody's happy. And, and you're like, that's, first of all, that's not what church is about. You know, church isn't, of course we want to evangelize, but we're here to worship and we're here to be, you know, given the word, like you said, you know, the means of grace. And, and if your church isn't doing that, it's not a church. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, people who who come from those other persuasions might might consider that harsh, but you know the the markings of a church, uh, what we would consider the markings of a church, don't match with what they consider. So you can't have two completely opposite things both be true at the same time. You know, we're not relativists. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's confusing too because in our last situation, it was like. You know, we're in a decent church in the sense that he, he preached the gospel. You know, he he did a good job in that sense. But then here you are kind of propagating these false teachings up in your worship. And you're kind of, 
you know, and, you know, doing the whole inviting the Holy Spirit in and trying to create this atmosphere. It was very confusing because it was like this weird hybrid of what a true church is and what a lot of these false, false churches are doing, or at least like you said, the mega churches. And that's kind of a weird situation to be in. I think a lot of us have probably ended up in something like that where you're, you're in a decent church, but you know, there's a lot of room for improvement there. And of course, no church is perfect, but. Right, right. There's people in it. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Automatically it's imperfect at that point, but. Um, yeah. yeah there, I think we made our new church a little less perfect when we joined <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure folks at, at your church would disagree in you saying that, but. The self-deprecating humor goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm just super humble, okay? I'm just trying to be extraordinary. Super humble, humble with the humble trademark symbol. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you have you heard the phrase before? I'm gonna butcher it. Lex Lex Arendi, Lex Credendi, where the No the the um the rule the rule of prayer is the rule of belief. Or, or it can even be like a, a way that it's been – another thing that people say that's kind of similar to it is like what we we believe what we sing. And so like going back to uh, the corporate worship stuff we've been talking about, you know, uh, you could have – you could have the gospel clearly proclaimed from the pulpit of the church, right, in the preaching, in the prayers, but then you sing something that's contradictory to it, and that's going to be – that's not only my experience, but I think this is true uh, broadly that what we sing is what people are going to remember. You know, in a lot of ways, we're catechized by the songs we sing on Sundays. And if we're not singing good songs, if we're not singing songs that match with the gospel that we proclaim, it, hopefully we're we're proclaiming the true gospel and not a false gospel. But if we're singing singing songs that contradict that true gospel, we are hurting that ministry. Is, is that a, is that a mean or incorrect thing to say? <laughs> no, I think it's absolutely correct. You know, I think I even remember reading that Arius, like he created songs to propagate his um, Trinitarian heresy, you know, like that's how they spread it. So it's been going on for a really long time. And like, like you said, you know, you can sit down and hear a sermon, but you're not singing the sermon afterwards. Like people are singing the songs, they're they're listening to them, I think, on repeat on Caleb. So it's yeah. it's it gets in your mind, it gets in your head, and I'm pretty sure Bill Johnson, you know, from Bethel has even said, I don't remember the direct quote, but just that that's how they're gonna spread their theologies through song. And I think they've I think they've done a pretty good job at that. Saturating the yes. the market, the K Love market with with their songs. Sure. And the fact that, you know, some of those songs are really good. You know, they sound good. They're they do. Like excellent excellently produced. And a lot of the lyrics are biblical lyrics. And I think so many people when you hear them, like when you tell them and warn them about the music. Like, oh, but that song, well, that's a biblical and that sense. Like 
But there's so many kind of pseudo-truth false gospels out there that they say enough of the right things so that it's not blatantly obvious that they're false. Like they're not singing like songs to Krishna, you know, like, (laughs) although they basically are. I mean, I don't know if you've seen some of those videos. They've had like straight up like Hindu performances in their churches for Hillsong at least. But you know, it's not. I, I could see Andy Stanley's me. church singing the Hari Krishna song. Oh my gosh! Probably. <laughs> That's what happens when you unhitch from the Old Testament. <laughs> Thank you very much. I almost bring that up nearly every episode. Somehow, the unhitching thing. It is, it is such a trigger for me. Yeah, it's it's absolutely terrible. I remember seeing that. I think the first time I ever saw that clip, I was like watching some Ken Ham video for Answers in Genesis. And he had a clip and my husband and I looked at each other like, is this guy serious? Did he really say that? That's just nuts. Like, how are you supposed to know anything in the New Testament if you don't have the Old Testament? I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I seriously don't get where that comes from. It's some sort of like, it, it's got to be some sort of like unhinged, uh, um, evolution of dispensationalism or something where like there's absolutely no there's absolutely no connection between our our New Testament life and the record of the Old Testament and so you might as well just not bother with it anymore uh, I don't yeah. know it's very it's strange and novel to me and watching that clip in context it seemed to me like he was almost kind of just trying to make Christianity seem um, acceptable, palatable, because there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that people get upset about and will point out, you know, that whole like, oh, he's an angry God or all these different <laughs> things about killing children and, you know, the things that the atheists and antagonists will often pull out and and even homosexuality stuff, like the prohibitions in there are very clear. So to me, it seemed like he was really just trying to make Christianity seem more attractive to people by saying, oh, you don't need You don't even need the Old Testament. Just the new, just love everybody. And then that's how the fruit of that is how uh, you can you can get the the story of of an atheist coming to your church and feeling welcome enough to be able to keep coming back Sunday after Sunday and and never feel convicted once uh, of of their uh, disbelief in Christ. And that was actually like yeah, exactly. a testimonial for for that church. Not even a, it wasn't a criticism. It was like, look how well we're doing this. And atheists can come here and feel comfortable. Like, ah, uh, yeah, that's it's not the way it's supposed to work. No, yeah, he should be uncomfortable, and hopefully, obviously, repent. <laughs> yes, repent and believe, and enjoy enjoy yeah. God. You know, don't don't go on pretending he doesn't exist or go on hating him be reconciled it's it's the best that is your best life (laughs) not now but but for eternity not just now yeah yeah if you're living your best life now i guess that's your only life (laughs) it'll get way worse later (laughs) yes and that that i mean that just blows mind that people don't consider that you have so much, you know, online, you know, don't make them feel bad for what they believe. Don't, I'm not here to make you, you know, uncomfortable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, we should 
we should be making people feel uncomfortable. We should be showing them the truth because that's not like not making someone uncomfortable is not actually loving from a biblical perspective. That drives me. That's my pet peeve. That's a good pet peeve. Yeah, that's (laughs) solid. Good choice. Good choice of peeves. Thank you. Yeah. Well, in the uh, remaining few minutes left, I I have to ask with, with your voracious reading plan uh that you're that you've been on and you're currently on what are some really good uh resources that you would recommend to people maybe that you haven't already recommended in the course of our conversation books or podcasts or anything like that well i already mentioned the holiness of god sky packers knowing god i think that's a pretty good accessible book that's not going to overwhelm someone who's kind of newer to theology I also really like uh, What's So Great About the Doctrines of Grace by Richard Phillips. Uh, It's a really short book. So I think that addresses some of the common um, misunderstandings of the doctrines of grace. I really would recommend Samuel Renahan's book, The Mystery of Christ. But that's not very accessible for, I think, the average Joe and as far as podcasts, I really do just kind of for families. I love core Christianity. It's a lot of good conversation that my kids and I have because a lot of people ask a lot of different questions. And um, there's really so many podcasts that I listen to, but I'd say I would recommend that one just gets people thinking. Excellent. Well, I would recommend Grass Fed and Grace Led which is fresh on the podcast market now. Uh, so it's easy to catch up on if anybody wants to start listening now, get in on the ground floor before this thing explodes. Yes, please do. And listen, <laughs> I'm talking about bad theology this week, so it'll be awesome. Good. We love it. Excellent. All right. Well, Maddie, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, and uh, can't wait to hear more excellent, high quality podcasts from you. Uh, Best intro music in the game. I can clearly say that. So, yeah, you, you heard it here, I'm, folks. Thank you so much for having me. I really my pleasure. Glad, glad, glad to have you. Uh, anybody can check out the show notes for information about reform meditations. So, uh, and the Bar Network and the Exiled House of Meme Lords. The links are all there, and they are well worth your clicking. So, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.